Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated in loving memory and Lilui Nishmat Marco Mordechai Ben Jamila and Ahmad. Alava Shalom, sponsored by his sisters, brothers, nieces, and nephews. Baruch Dayan Aymet. Tehenishmatot Surah B'Tzorah Haim. We're sorry to hear the news and Be'ezat Hashem, we wish Nechama to the entire family. My friends, um, we read in the Pasuk two words. Two words that seem to be very powerful and as well seem to communicate to us a very deep truth about the way we see uh, the job of every single human being in this world. The, the, the Torah tells us that all the people came to step up in the, in the, in the case of the Mishkan and in, as they stepped up to the plate, to the job, they did, I say like the Pasuk says, the people that stepped up were people that were nisa'oli bo, their hearts had raised them up, and nadeva rucho, that their spirit had a generosity of spirit. Now, I want to start by pointing out the words of Haramban that I mentioned yesterday uh, after the minyan, to the, to the children. The Ramban points out that the skills that were required from the people that were building the Mishkan were not within their wheelhouse. After so many years of coursework, of slave work, they were used to building bricks, but they didn't have the dexterity, the uh, uh, impressive ability to work with the finest materials that was required to build the Mishkan. Not only that, there were elements of great skill that were required in the weaving of the tapestries of the Mishkan to the point where as you sewed something or you wove something on one side, the opposite side of the tapestry, which would normally be a mess, actually also had said there had an order to it. So if on one side the, uh, the, wo- the woven image was, was one of a lion, on the other side it was one of an eagle. Now again, take a look at anything that's woven. You'll see that the back side of that thing is just a mess. If you don't know what that looks like, if you ever take a label that's woven, you'll see it's the opposite of the thing that's on the front or it's just all messy. But that it should be not just coherent, but something else entirely made up of the inverse of what's on the front side is something that requires a tremendous amount of skill. You can't get that in a factory in China, okay? And yet, my friends, and yet, um, the Jewish people were creating it. How did that happen? How was that possible? And the Ramban actually says something that's magnificent. He says it wasn't possible. It was impossible. It was just the fact that when it came time to build the Mishkan, to, to, uh, to sanctify God's name, the Jewish people, after having received so much from Hashem, they wanted so bad to do something that Boreh Olam performed a miracle for them that they were able to do something that was far out of their wheelhouse, way beyond the capacity of what they, what they could afford to do. Baruch <laughs> Now that idea, this concept, that a person who has desires, who has dreams, who has goals for something that is outside of the possibility, of the realm of his possibility, that Boreh Olam helps him achieve that thing. Not only is it a beautiful idea and a nice sentiment, it makes you smile, it also realize, it makes us realize that we're going about our lives and our, uh, and our dreams in the incorrect way. The, uh, the Sifarim tell us, Chayav, Adam, uh, a person is obligated to say to himself, 
When will my deeds reach the deeds, the miracles, the uh, wonders, the mitzvot, the midot, the nivuah of Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov? Now, look, if I could compare, you know, sometimes I say I wish I could be half the man that my father is. Those of you who know my father will know that that's not a small feat, right? A lot of people. 20% is good, we'll take it. Whatever we can get, happy to have it, right? That's the, what's it called? That's what the Gemara says, that from one generation to the next, there's a, a, a Yiridata Dorot. If they were like uh, angels, we're like men. If they were like men, we're like donkeys. That's what the, the Midrash says. So here we are looking at a person, and the, the Ma'amar Chazal doesn't say a person can say, but Chayav Adam, a person is obligated to ask and demand of themselves. When will my deeds be the deeds of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov? Did you ever think to yourself, like, what do we think? Hashem on Yom Kippur. We go like this, we say, Hashem, you know what? I'm going to get up seven minutes earlier. I'm going to try to be more on time to tefillah. Maybe I'm going to do set aside 30 minutes a day, right? For Talmud Torah, I'm going to have a class for, you know, so I have Kiviat Itim. We take on these very small things. And you know what? No one is saying that that's a bad thing. Because if you don't take on small things that are big enough, that are small enough for you to be able to manage, you won't do anything at all. But Rabotai, it is not a contradiction to take on small things and to dream of big things. I'll give you an example. Let's say a person wants to build an internationally held uh, and traded company. He wants to be able to manufacture goods in the cheapest places. He wants to be able to distribute them, to ship them here, to, uh, to what's it called, to sell the goods to all the different stores. He wants to be able to build a brand, to make it, you know, commercials on the TV and on social media. There's a trillion jobs in that process. And the only way you'll achieve that is if you take it down into bite-sized chunks and you fulfill one task at a time, you find the right person for that task, and that's how you build. So there's no question that if you dream big, but act small, you'll go very, very far. But what we're learning over here is that unless you dreamed big, you don't ever merit to get big. Even if you do big things, even if you uh, try and take on outsized things, if you're not dreaming, if there's no massive shi'ifa, you're not getting anywhere. And what I found was so interesting is it doesn't say that you know who built the Mishkan. People who had big hearts and people who had big nishamot. And also, also, uh, this guy, his name is Van Cleef. Uh, this guy whose name is Grath. Another guy whose name is De Beers, right? It doesn't say that they had people that were naturally gifted as jewelers, naturally gifted as weavers, and also some other people. If you look at the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball, there'll be people who did not try hard and got there. There will be. There'll be people whose gift is natural. They, you know, if you didn't pay them an exorbitant amount of money to play basketball, they'd be playing basketball on the courts in the streets of their neighborhood with or without a salary. They love the game, they excel at the game. Mixed in with the natural ability is other people as well who fought very hard to be able to perfect themselves. So you have a mixture of both. But when it comes to building the Mishkan, it actually doesn't say that. My friends, that's the concept over here. The smartest guy who knows the most Torah, the kindest person who does the most desit, the most empathic person who is the most understanding, if that's how they are naturally, 
then you did not build for HaKadosh Baruch Hu a space in this world. Why? That space was a space that God carved out already for Himself. He touched this person with the gift and the touch of the divine. He made you smart or empathic or kind or understanding or brilliant in, in negotiation. He gave you those gifts. That's not where God starts. That's me just fulfilling the most basic of my... That's literally like a baby that's breathing. You know, they say this joke about a guy um, who's, uh, you know, uh, who's very, very simple. And he goes, he goes to the barber and he's wearing his headphones. And the barber says, Sir, can I take off your headphones? I need to cut your hair. The guy says, no, no, very important. Don't take my headphones off. You have to, he says, but I can't give you a haircut. He says, well, it doesn't matter. He says, he goes, you have to give the haircut around the thing. Move the haircut forward, move the things forward, move it back. Anyway, the guy, the barber is shaving the, the guy's hair. Anyway, after five minutes, you know, happens to you, happens to me. The guy, he fell asleep. So the barber thinks, you know what, he's sleeping anyway. I'm going to sit there moving the thing. He, I take off that, he takes off the headphones. The guy doesn't wake up. So he gives him the haircut, 15, 20 minutes, finally puts the head, you know, headphones back on the guy, taps him on the shoulder, the guy doesn't move. Pushes him, pushes him, pushes him, the guy doesn't move. Calls 911, the guy comes, they check him, gone, khalas, the guy died. <laughs> this guy feels terrible. You know, the last thing, his, his last will and testament was, don't take off my headphones. He takes off the headphones, finishes the haircut, the guy dies in the chair. He can't believe he's devastated. Anyway, he takes the headphones, he wants to hear what was, he puts the headphones on and he hears, breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in. He wasn't reminded to breathe in, breathe out, the dip, he forgot to breathe, he died. Obviously, it's a silly story. Rabotai, you don't need to be told to be breathe, to breathe in and breathe out. You also, even in today's liberal world, you don't deserve to get an award for breathing in and breathing out. That's just you surviving on your most basic level. That's you expressing the most basic part of yourself. That is how you were created. That is not something which is a binyan bait, which is a carving out of a place for bore olam in this world. That only comes from dreaming of impossible things. Now Rabotai, I don't know if any of you were here on Shabbat afternoon, but I shared an insane idea, an idea that to me is unbelievable. We learned in, in the, in, in last week in the parashah on Shabbat, we read parashat para. And in parashat para, we read about something which is a chok. And I ask this question, how could it be that a logical religion has something called a chok? And we gave the class that we gave. But there's one point I want to bring out. And I want to share with everyone here and as well that's listening into the recordings because you missed it on Shabbat. And that is that when you understand that you don't understand everything, when you're willing to accept that there's a para aduma, a red heifer, that the laws of which you have no idea, you cannot understand, and yet you understand that Boreo Olam, God, if He commanded me to do so, that is something I must do. Rabotai, a person who believes in a mitzvah that is impossible to understand and follows faithfully in God's ways, also can recognize that in their own physical life, when there are things that are impossible to imagine, that impossibility doesn't stop them. It is not a wonder that Am Yisrael, at least in my eyes, that Am Yisrael does consistently impossible things. It's not a wonder. 
You know why? Because from the beginning of our creation, of our forming as a nation, we were taught to understand that the impossible, at least in Jewish, is really only improbable. When we left Egypt, it was impossible, and that happened. And then we listened to the word of God, and it was impossible. Our bodies couldn't handle it. But God brought us back to life and imbued us with these mitzvot. And we existed in the desert, and that was impossible. And we conquered Eretz Israel, and that was impossible. And we survived being exiled from our land, and we came back. You know, there's not another nation on earth that was exiled from its land and then came back as a people to re-inhabit their land. Did you know that? We've done that time. And you know why? Because wherever they go, they stop existing as the people they are, and they start existing as the people that are hosting them. They assimilate away, and yalla, bye-bye. They're chalas, there's nobody left. Rabotai, the Jewish people, we make a common meal out of the impossible. This concept, the impossible dream, is the credo of the Jewish people. When we came in 48 and we won back our land, it does not make any sense that a group of ragtag people that had no military training, that had no arms, they didn't have anything. How could they have thought to fight that war? And then when they fought against five nations, how did they fight that war? Borei Olam allows the Jewish people, when they believe that the impossible is possible, to realize the coming true of that dream, my friends. And that is what we witness time and time again. But Rabotai, if it's true on a national level, and today, well not maybe today, but soon, next week, you'll be able to get on a plane and fly to an impossible dream, Eretz Israel, a place which was full of swamps and full of uh, malaria, and there was no produce coming out of it, right? If you could fly to an impossible place today, if that's true on a national level, it must also be true on the individual level of each and every one of the people that make up that nation. Rabotai, what is impossible in your life that you want so much, but think it's not relevant, it's not practical, it's not realistic? Someone said to me once, Rabbi, you want to build a community in Manhattan? It's not realistic. I said, oh, Baruch Hashem then. He said, Baruch Hashem what? I said, if it's not realistic, then I know that my goal is exactly on target. That's exactly what you head for. Rabotai, some of us uh, grew up in Brooklyn. If you remember the Brooklyn of your childhood, if I remember the deal of my childhood, and I look at these places now, there's no way in a million years you ever would have thought it possible. You remember what Shabbat was in the community back 40, 50 years ago. How many people kept Shabbat? And I mean really kept Shabbat. How many people? It was a handful of people. There was a few Shomrei Shabbat in each synagogue. Today, the fact that the vast majority of the community is keeping Shabbat by and large, I'm not saying they're keeping it necessarily to the highest degree, that they didn't put on the radio and listen to some music. I'm not saying that they're keeping it, you know, the, the highest, they didn't use their phone at all. But at least by and large, they're attempting. They're not opening their businesses on Shabbat. They're coming to shul, filling the Beit HaKnesset. I remember when I was a child, when we had to call every single week before Shabbat, every single day to get a minyan. My father had to send me by, on my feet at six years old. I would walk from house to house to pull a minyan together. And now my father has two buildings. Rabotai, this is the concept that we learn over here. You want to understand who builds a mishkan? It's not a person with natural talent. 
It is only the people. Nisaoli bo nadeva rucho. Surah Botai. Where are you going to put that effort? If you had a gun that had an impossible bullet that you could fire at something and it would make the impossible possible, what would you fire it at? Would you fire that bullet, sorry for the example, at your wife to have impossibly a good, civil, happy, loving relationship? Would you fire it at your children? What would you use your impossible to possible bullets on? On the relationship with your kids? Would you walk into the synagogue, to the library over here? The books that you always wanted to be able to learn and to understand, would you fire it at maybe Dafyomi? Take your shot, Rabotai. The, the only thing we see from this parasha is that the ones that do that, that aim, that try, wind up achieving tremendous things. I think if we dreamed big and acted small, we'd find the craziest, most improbable, unrealistic things becoming our happenstance, our day-to-day occurrences. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen.